everyone. Welcome to Secure IT, where we discuss all things cybersecurity, people, trends, and products. Thank you for joining us today for what I'm sure will be a very interesting conversation with some intrigue thrown in for good measure. With over two decades of counterintelligence experience, ladies and gentlemen, I have the select privilege of introducing none other than Peter Lapp, President and founder of PJ Lab Consulting, fondly referred to as Pete. Welcome, Pete. Thank you, Philip. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's dive in. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, when one looks at uh, you, I, I really should have a secret agent man playing in the background, uh, <laughs> Pete. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and believe me, growing up, uh, in Bombay, I always thought they, that song, the lyrics were Secret Asian Man, but it's not. Okay, so here we are. Um, Pete, you know, what, what strikes me, and we've had a couple of uh, conversations before, um, I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, your direction is grounded by everything at St. Joe's. You know, it's guitarist, it's author, speaker, founder, and of course, uh, you know, special agent. Uh, law enforcement. So a lot of times our listeners are not only CISOs and CSOs, but potential uh, career grads who are looking uh, for some direction in, in this field. And with that in mind, please walk us through your background, you know, the career, your various choices uh, that got you to PJ Lab Consulting. Uh, walk us through your journey, please, Pete. Well, I graduated college um, outside of Philadelphia and wanted to go work for the FBI at some point in time. It was my my life ambition from probably my freshman year of college until I finally got in the FBI about 10 years later. I started in law enforcement as a local police officer. Um, I was actually a bike cop and rode around, got paid to ride a bike and hand out baseball cards and, and was a community policing officer and had had a great experience with that, but was finishing up my master's at St. Joe's in Philly and finally uh, was fortunate enough to, to be hired by the FBI in 1998 uh, as a special agent. It was uh, spent 22 years as an FBI agent and it was, I, you know, I had a, I had a unique situation towards the end of my career where I had a very public profile. You know, we would go to parties and barbecues and meet people. And I could actually say I'm an FBI agent. And and because I had, you know, was doing speaking and all this other kind of stuff where my name was out there, whereas many of my colleagues are very secret agent-like, if you, you know, to kind of refer back to your, your opening statement. And, you know, I can't tell you how proud I was to say that I was an FBI agent. It was uh, professionally just a, a huge accomplishment. And I'm, I'm so fortunate that the FBI let me sneak in and, uh, and, and have, you know, gone through 22 years of working counterintelligence and working espionage and economic espionage. The cool, the cool stuff um, was a, a huge honor and a privilege for me to, to, you know, do what I could to help protect our national security wherever I could. Awesome. And uh, so one day you, I mean, I'm not sure hanging up your boots is, is an apt term, but let's just say you put your badge away and uh, decided to found uh, P 
PJ lap. So talk about that moment, please. You know, we can retire at the FBI um, at the age of 50 if you have 20 years of time in. Um, I turned 50 in February of 2020, right before the pandemic, and was fortunate enough to get hired uh, working at a general dynamics business unit as the insider threat program manager for for 18 months. And I decided probably at the 15 month mark that I, I really wanted to try this entrepreneur um, side of me that had never really been there. I wanted, I decided I, I wanted to write a book uh, and I'm, I'm almost finished my manuscript. Uh, the book is called the queen of Cuba. It's about a woman who we arrested 10 days after nine 11 for spying for the Cuban intelligence service within the United States intelligence community. So I'm excited about being able to write this book and share it with the world. And then decided that I wanted to start consulting and help companies and departments and agencies either start their insider threat program or, or if it's already started, mature it. You know, I think, I think there's always room for growth and maturing regardless of how established your, your insider risk or your cybersecurity program is. We've got to constantly be looking over the horizon and understanding where, where these two disciplines and they're intertwined they're very much intertwined in a lot of ways where where we're going with this and and for me to be able to focus just on insider threat is has been a a big driving force for me to hang out my shingle and and start to go work for myself very interesting and and the big deal here uh pete and and i don't want to influence your answer but i'm going to give you my opinion is human nature and and you know, so so PJ Lab Consulting is focused uh, on cyber security awareness training, uh, insider threat, right? And we, we constantly on this show talk about two things. We talk about the basics um, and we talk about people, right? Uh, you know, basic tenants of cybersecurity, lock your front door, keep an eye on whoever's in the house. Um, and, and of course, you know, don't touch stuff that you're not supposed to. So Aurora... Uh, company that I had a few years back took a whole bunch of USB drives um, and and with approval uh, threw it around the headquarters of a California higher ed uh, organization that shall remain unnamed. And, you know, out of the 20 uh, USB drives that were thrown at, so these are these are uh, career staffers, not students, um, who've been educated, who've gone through all the training. Uh, out of the 20 drives that were scattered, 13 of them were plugged in, you know, within within an hour of them being out there. And then uh, uh, an 80%, uh, uh, you know, acquisition rate about, in about a day later, right? So 80% of those drives were, mm-hmm. were plugged in. So this is scary. And we very often, you know, talk about human nature and uh, the people are going to do what people do, right? And I should say we. Um, just it's human nature that you're battling. It's human nature that keeps us in business. And, and so you and your company are focused on uh, insider threat and awareness uh, training for sure. What are some of the cybersecurity trends that, you know, your top three as you try to save the world? Well, to your point about the human problem, you know, I, I look at it 
very similar to you and, and maybe from a slightly, uh, obviously a slightly different background. Uh, in my time in the FBI, I don't think the FBI has ever arrested a computer. It's never arrested a server. And it sure as hell can't arrest the cloud. Behind every single one of those is a is a human being. And, and it's a person who is moving data, stealing data, sabotaging data, doing whatever it is nefarious, you know, or even sometimes just, you know, without malintent, but perhaps negligent and, and causing problems within their organization. We've got to focus on, on human beings and they, us, we, the, you know, the, the human race has a, has, has a whole lot of vulnerabilities and challenges. Um, we're subject to divorce and, and foreclosures, and maybe we're upset about who won the election, and maybe we're upset at our employer and our organization. So we have all these different influences that influence us as human beings that, that we have to really somehow be focused on when we're looking at cybersecurity and or um, you know, insider threat, insider risk. So that would be one of my one tenant. Um, you know, human, human beings and the human problem. Um, I think, I think we always can do a better job of training and awareness. I think it's, um, sometimes difficult for us to get the attention of our coworkers and the people that work at our companies. It's difficult to say, look, this is, this is real and, and you can be a part of preventing it by being more careful about what you're clicking on. You know, you play a significant role. And I think, you know, we've got to create training and awareness opportunities that perhaps there's compliance reasons and the mandatory reasons and regulatory reasons as to why we do them, but we've got to make sure we're best communicating the why, why it's important for folks to do the right thing, the right time in the right way. And then, you know, probably last as a tenant is, is teamwork. Um, IT professionals cannot do it alone. HR professionals cannot do it alone. Security professionals cannot do it alone. If they're not talking, if you've got these, you know, as I call them, stovepipes of excellence, which are, it's an oxymoron. I mean, a stovepipe of excellence is not, not a benchmark, not a good way, a best practice, if you will. Um, if they're not talking to each other, they're not collaborating, they're not on the same page, your cyber defense, your insider threat defense is going to be limited in, in, in its success. And, uh, you're not really managing your risk quite, quite well. If, if that's, uh, if you're not talking to key functions within your organizations. Pete, you know, we're, we're in the second year of doing this, this podcast and we talk to people and we've all, we've taken a, a direction of focusing on the person behind the cybersecurity and you just delivered big time, my friend stove types stove pipes of excellence that trademark this yeah. as soon as the call is done that's well said <laughs> <and> very <laughs> it's you heard very it here i i invent i wrote yeah. it it's mine it's, it's my, yours it's my, and i it's, promise to use it it's my and give you credit for it yep <laughs> <laughs> so well said it just it's it's a it's a brilliant picture um uh, and just sums 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 it up uh, so well. So I'm we're going to take a quick walk, you know, very briefly down uh, memory lane. But 
this is on the condition that as soon as I'm done setting up this question for you, uh, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom and you get to make a wish. So deal. So, yeah, so here goes, right? Okay, king, so king for goes. a day. <laughs> king for a day. Well, in this case, for about seven minutes, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um, so, you know, all of us in this business have have lived the proverbial nine lives, right? We've developed, we've built computers and built networks and we've been in business. And, and every time the technology changes, you come to a grinding halt, you do a 180 degree turn, and then, you know, one minute you're an encryption, another minute you're a cybersecurity company, um, and life goes on. You know, at some point, someone very brilliantly designed the cloud, right? The cloud is a bunch of computers that were always there, but, you know, it's a cool, very sexy name. And so cloud it is. Today, um, it's the soup of the day is zero trust. And uh, zero trust is ominous. I mean, trying to talk to, uh, you know, I've been corrected by HR not to say Martha in accounting, but I am going to say Martha in accounting because that sums up the picture she's been there for 30 years she's done things her way and then we walk along you know puffed chest out and said hey martha now it's zero trust right you can't trust anyone and that's just it's rough um it's a difficult message so so here are the keys right i mean handing this over to you and i'm saying look you're at the top of the hill where the heck are we heading? What should we focus on? There are so many things to worry about. That that um, firewall that we were all given when we started our businesses and said, look, this is going to protect you against the bad guys is gone, right? Your, your team could be sitting in the Philippines, could be sitting in East Europe, uh, yeah. Australia. Your team could, you could think your team is sitting in Australia, but they may be sitting somewhere in the Czech Republic. You never know, right? It's, it's a global open ocean today. We're working from home. Um, you know, your, your three-year-old could be spilling a cup of coffee as you're filing a report. Uh, and uh, Microsoft and the giants like Broadcom are now talking uh, zero trust. Uh, we're saying the government is kicking in. God bless the United States of America. And I seriously mean that, uh, that, that the government is actually taking a leadership role in cybersecurity. Uh, the NIST 800 tenants now say, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to have authentication, continuous authentication. And it's clearly laid out uh, tenants for zero trust. The SEC has come in and said, guess what, guys? Your board of directors now should have cybersecurity up there as part of their fiduciary mm-hmm. relationship. So we live in very exciting times. Uh, what's given your wisdom and given the path that you've taken to come here, um, if you're going to l- look at the at the whole cybersecurity environment, what's your advice uh, to CISOs, to uh, CSOs in, in terms of, you know, where are we heading? What's the future of cybersecurity? Well, I, I, I 100% agree with your uh, characterization of zero trust. I, it's very draconian. I worry about this message that it gives to the, the uh, workforce about we just don't trust you. No one is trustworthy. And it, it's, it, is, it is a little worrying to me. I understand the concept and I think it makes sense. And I agree with you. I support what the administration is doing with making this uh, more of a standard. I think that we have to be careful that we don't create 
disgruntlement. What do you mean? You know, you don't trust me. Like uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I worked for the FBI for so many years. You should trust me just to use me as, as an example. I think, I think my perfect utopia would be, can we find a way to protect the things that need to be protected, doing it in a way under this zero trust paradigm, um, but, but not, you know, allowing the people that are trustworthy to, to do what they need to do to accomplish the mission, the job, the, the, whatever it is their responsibilities are. How do we not infringe and impede their ability and create frustration in them by just trying to get their job done uh, with all these different rules? It's, it's, where's that utopia? I, I don't know. I think that, um, you know, when I look at the insider risk problem and how companies and departments and agencies are are tackling it with that you know framework of maturity um that comes from from the director of national intelligence's office the secret science is is trying to identify you see the blinking lights you see the behavior but trying to determine if there's real risk in the fact that this individual's score, risk score, went from 25 to 65 overnight. And, and trying to put the behavior that you're seeing into context and, and, and separating out the false positives and the noise and the just innocent behavior from the things that we really should be looking at. And then trying to find that utopia where we're, we're focusing on the behavior seeing everything we can see and then, and then assessing it, doing a better job of assessing it and, and, and figuring out what it is that person's doing and either, you know, give them an IT policy violation training opportunity or slap them on the wrist, give them a day off. I don't know, you know, or some people have to be terminated, but, but a lot of the behavior that we're probably seeing is truly innocent. It's just a matter of triaging and assessing and analyzing that to make sure that, the risk is mitigated as much as possible. I mean, you see a lot of, you know, the government uses the, the, the draconian terminology insider threat, you know, big death star kind of thing. And then a lot of companies are going to insider risk. And I think at some point in time, hopefully we move towards insider trust because we should trust most of our employees. Most of them are doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. Um, clicking on the right things, not clicking on the things that they shouldn't, not transferring data to their Google drives, you know, putting it out in the wild. So hopefully we do get to a point where we're, we're more of an insider trust model for both, you know, government and industry, but we've got a long way to go. We actually have a long way to go. And I think the, 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 the unpredictable aspect of all this is the human being and, and how unpredictable human beings are in general. And that's why, you know, that's where the, the, the psychological behavioral aspect are so important to the CISOs uh, and the, and the uh, cyber security professionals of the world. They've got to be considering that behavioral aspect of it, which inherently, and no disrespect, they are very smart people. They're very technology driven, perhaps not so much on the human behavior side. So having that ability to understand and put things into context because they, you know, they brought in folks that do that human behavior stuff and, and have been students of human behavior, I think is, is super important. I really like the idea of creating a, you know, trusted person, trusted entity 
equivalent of you know the classified document scale right yep. so uh, speaking of classified documents being very topical today, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right but you know hey yeah. we, we we give we assign levels of trust to the people in our teams and therein allow uh, access to documents and data and people etc great concept and uh, various organizations have tried bits and pieces of taking a chomp at the at the elephant right or the 800 pound yeah. gorilla and we never promised any softball questions here so we're still on geopolitical right and, and again you're in charge and let's take california right that's that's a conversation fraught with peril isn't it pete um so you know we we created we create this trusted uh, entity concept we say look here's um whatever, CEO or executive of an organization, uh, we put in tools like continuous behavioral authentication and verification and everything else. And we're reasonably assured that this person is who he or she, she says they are, and we allow them access to the data. Now, this question came up in a sales pitch about two days ago, uh, and the person uh, at the other end was, you know, a, a, a um, ethical hacker and he says look um, I, I was very proudly thumping my chest and saying that our software will stop people under the influence right and actually it was a funny story that one of these users who's actually authenticating the software says look I'm the guy who's approving the software but your software doesn't work because it's 10 30 at night and it's locking me out and this is behavioral analytics uh, I'm typing it's me and a few questions later, we figured out that he had inhaled a certain certain smoke of a certain green substance. So technically, at 10.30 at night, he really wasn't who he said he was, right? <laughs> um, in the strictest sense of the term, um, not under, I mean, definitely under the influence. So we're not in Texas anymore, Mr. Lapp. We're in California. We're in Los Angeles. It's legal. Uh, and if I try to shut that guy out, there's going to be 17 laws and subsections uh, mm -hmm. from HR saying, hey, you know, how can you discriminate? This is legal. How would you address something like that? Well, like you kind of alluded to, trust is fluid. You know, it, the, at six o'clock at night or four o'clock in the afternoon when he is um, not you know, influenced by outside stuff, um, the trust factor for him was, was probably in the normal range. And then obviously as the night grew on, you know, trust is fluid. Um, we have to figure out a way to check off that trust box when someone comes on, but then keep it, keep an eye on them. And I know it's not probably, um, you know, part of the employee experience where it may be big brotherish in sounding of what do you mean you need to keep track of my trust? Well, yeah, yeah, we do because, people's behaviors and, and motivations can change. You know, folks can be, I, I like to say that happy people don't commit espionage. Everyone who's committed espionage and, and anyone who's stolen from a company has been disgruntled about something. You know, you, you, you're pissed off at something and, and money, money can be a huge factor. Even you look at Robert Hansen, Robert Hansen got a half a million dollars for his espionage against the FBI for the Russians. And, and I'm convinced that the money was a sub factor in his motivation, that there was other 
he was just, was not a happy guy was was angry at certain things and you know a very complicated individual psychologically so we've got to be able to figure out how do we how do we give someone trust grant them that trust and then kind of keep an eye on them as they go through the course of their career because that trust can be fluid and and it can change and how do we do that as cyber professionals as insider threat professionals is is certainly a challenge. Um, but are we even looking at that? To what degree are you looking at your own employees? That's a question that each each of the listeners have to really kind of assess for themselves and say, yeah, we, we probably could do a better job of looking at insider trust and insider risk and seeing seeing what our folks are doing and keeping an eye on them for the life of, of the employment with, with that organization, whatever that is. Mr. Peter Lapp, you, sir, are on a roll. You opened up with the FBI has never arrested a computer. You went on with the stovepipes of uh, excellence. And just when I thought you have uh, peaked, you come up with trust is fluid um, and happy people don't commit espionage. I hope someone's trademarking this on your behalf. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I hope so, too. These are brilliant words of wisdom, and thank you for this. So let's continue our journey on the geopolitical side, and let's go outside our territorial borders, right, and, yeah. and the big bad guys in terms of Russia and China and, yeah. you know, 22 million OPM uh, records mm-hmm. out there where, you know, right. your fingerprints and mine, uh, mine are less mm-hmm. important, but, you know, retina scans and fingerprints and conversations with the neighbors all dutifully recorded, and now sitting with a foreign state, not necessarily friendly. Um, So we've got a challenge in the the cybersecurity world. Um, You know, the recent article by CNN was that China tried to gift this giant pagoda uh, in in 2017 that was to be placed uh, at the highest point in D.C. so it could intercept communications between capital, right? And then later cameras that were supposed to be a gift for this this unknown uh, IT company out in the Midwest uh, to to monitor traffic, but in turn was direct at the nuclear silos, right? So um, what's your take? Well, I'll give you one better. The Russian embassy in Washington, D.C. is on Wisconsin Avenue, just north of Georgetown. And I, I believe it's literally the highest point of elevation in the District of Columbia. So wow. the United States years ago, government gave the Russian government the highest. And, and certainly, I, I'm, I am sure they take full advantage of that that elevation height wow. in, in D.C. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. maybe this is the China is finally figuring out, hey, we, we, yeah. I like that real we estate. Let's. Up. How do we replicate that? Yeah. yeah where, where's um, our share? Right. Yeah. No, it's nation state is a, uh, it's a whole nother ball game. It's, it's certainly, and each country has its own degree of, of competency and skill. Uh, you know, China far and away, I think is, is some of the better, uh, uh, one of the best, if not the best uh, country nation states out there at doing this. Uh, Russia to a degree, Agree, but I, I honestly don't work worry too much about Russia. Um, I, there's there's a China is is 
and the FBI, I'm, I'm, I'm parroting what the FBI says, China is the premier counterintelligence threat for the United States. Um, that's where we should focus and, and, and put our attention in, in worry. You're right. You know, when you like, let's go back to that conversation about trust. We need to trust our employees and how do we prove their trust? Well, our employees, uh, you know, uh, the, the, I'm in that 21 million OPM data breach club. And I know, you know, the government has never come out and said what country has that information. So I'm certainly not going to do that on your podcast. Um, uh, but I'm part of that group and, and they have my information. They don't need to find me on LinkedIn. They can, they can, They've got what they need, and I'm sure they're tracking me. I mean, they I get all sorts of interesting LinkedIn requests from 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 that part of the world. Um, yeah, that, that's that's an area that we've got to really be careful of. We, we have to look at supply chain um, uh, integrity. Um, made in China is okay. Made in China by a Chinese company, not okay. Um, you know, so we have to really be as cognizant of where are we getting our, our cameras from? You know, I, I, we did an exercise and looked at internally at some things after uh, the, the uh, it was the Huawei memo that came out to clear defense industry at where you couldn't have any Chinese made Chinese company electronics in your, in your network, including video cameras. And we found out the hard way that, you know, our, our vending machines had cameras on them. It's like, wow. wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> I just want a Snickers bar. You're going to video <laughs> me. And, and, you know, we would lease out the, 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 the landlord, not even, not even the company, the landlord would, would provide a vending machine. They have a, a vendor, that they, but the, the company had no idea. So you just don't even know a lot of times what's in your space, what's in your environment, what's in your ecosystem, um, because supply chain is so important. And it's starting to become a thing. Supply chain risk management is very much starting to become a thing and an area where everyone's focusing. But how much integrity do we really have with the things that we're putting in our environment, our architecture and our Fending machines, for God's sakes! It's uh, as we get more automated and more, um, you know, electronic and more more technical. It certainly opens the door for bad actors to to be there and uh, be be watching what kind of Snickers bar you purchase. That is, and that's the least I, of our worries. That's the least of our worries is how sure. many Snickers bars I had. I bought right. last week. Yeah, um, I promised our listeners intrigue, and boy, have you delivered! Cameras on vending machines and and the Russian embassy—that's a new one. Um, yeah. Two questions that I'm I'm just itching to ask, and this is pure curiosity. As we head into the tail section of our very exciting conversation, so Pete guitarist uh, are we talking uh, the guitar riff from the eagles on hotel california uh, uh, tell us more uh i grew up in uh in the jersey shore uh in in the mid to late 80s and uh springsteen was was a little ahead of he was a, a, a 10 years older different generation hair bands and bon jovi i mean i grew up on the jersey shore wow. bon jovi was my was my influence i started the guitar Eddie Van Halen uh, inspired me to pick up the guitar. 
awesome. And, yeah, well, uh, hold on. Uh, mm-hmm. And about two years later, he inspired me to put the guitar down because <laughs> I, I couldn't do, I couldn't make the noises that the guy was right. making. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to learn eruption, you can go to YouTube now. I mean, if you want to learn how to do open heart surgery, you can go to you can go to anything, anything, anything. Mm -hmm. and you can find 15 versions of how to play eruption slow down. But in my time, I mean, you you just you had to listen to it. You had to have someone teach you. You had to whatever. So, you know, but for me, musically uh, and my friends who listen to this will all laugh because I always have to make a Bon Jovi reference in anything I do. But just. That's, I mean, that yep. the lick, the lick to dead or alive, you know, it's all mm-hmm. the same. Seen a million faces, rocked them all. That's, that's yes. amazing. That was, no that YouTube, just a poster on the wall for inspiration. Uh, yep. Exactly. <laughs> I had the Eddie, the Eddie Van Halen poster. I'm like, I can't do what he does, but I would love to be on stage and, you know, that rock star kind of admiration. And, uh, but now I can actually make some of the sounds. I'm actually, a, a better guitarist than nice. I was in high school. That's nice. for sure. We we may be adding some secret agent music to this podcast <laughs> as we introduce you. However, uh, you've delivered on your uh, you know proverbial Bon Jovi reference in this podcast. <laughs> now, talk about the book for a minute, please. That's really exciting. Thank you. Um, Ten days after nine eleven, I co-led a team that arrested a woman who was working at the Defense Intelligence Agency. DIA is essentially the CIA of the Department of Defense. And she had been spying for the Cubans uh, from day one. First day on the job at DIA, she was a fully recruited agent of the Cuban Intelligence Service. Book is called The Queen of Cuba. I call it that not because of Malcolm Gladwell. I didn't rip it off from his book, Talking to Strangers. Um, Her nickname was the queen of Cuba. So, you know, I mean, she really was the authority on Cuba, Cuban military. She was highly sought out, uh, did not spy for money. And, and, you know, when you look at the wall of spies at the FBI, all the mugshots, there's not a lot of women on that, on that, on those that have mugshots. They are, if you do see a woman, oftentimes, more often than not, they're the spouse of the main person, the husband, Aldrich Ames was the guy who had access. Rosario was just a co-conspirator didn't have the access. Montez was the real deal. And, and, uh, so the book is about her. It's about the investigation. There's a lot of, I think really good stories in there from the case. Uh, I try to put my humor in there and, and my sense of humor that uh, hopefully it's not a textbook. It's not a history book. It's a, it's a, I wanted to tell a compelling story in a compelling way and uh, uh, hopefully people will uh, will gravitate towards it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing it with, with the world, so to speak, um, hopefully. And she gets, you know, here's the interesting thing. So she gets out of jail on January 6th. Um, the book will be out, I think a little bit after that, wow. but uh, yeah, it's, it's rare that someone of that caliber, she's in the echelon of Ames Hansen, uh, and, and, and that top tier, and she's going to walk out of jail on January 6th and, and actually live here in the United States. So, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, I remember clearly this being headline news for a few days and I know that it was, you know, nine 11 and everything right, else, but I right. clearly remember this because we were all on edge during those, those times. And you said something, um, very interesting. 
this, you know, the cloak and dagger stuff was always, you know, cocktails and, you know, ending up in a hotel room somewhere. And you always thought of, you know, the Mata Harrys of the world that mm-hmm. they were. But you're saying that the FBI wall of fame of spies has a very few women. That's an interesting comment. Barely any. Barely any. Yeah. She's wow. she's one of the only ones. And that's why I think her story is so interesting, interesting. Uh, you know, from a from a from an I.T cybersecurity perspective, uh, there's nothing that anyone could have done, you know, no vendor, no, no technology that could have, that could have prevented or detected that because she was memorizing things. I don't want to give away the whole book, but sure. No, please don't. She's, she's memorizing things. And I mean, good luck, good luck finding yeah. if, if we have a, some tech, some tool out there, some vendor that can figure that out. I mean, we're, we're in scary times there. I don't, want people, I don't want people reading my mind and you nope. know yeah, yeah we let that's 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 like the robots you keep seeing yeah. on twitter mm-hmm. robots do. are doing backflips and it's like yep. we had we had a good run you do lead an exciting life pete um so book's going to be out post let's say mid-january we'll look for it i would now. say i would say early spring i'm hoping early, early spring. spring yeah cool Cool. Yeah. Good luck Queen with of, that. Queen of Cuba. Thank you. I appreciate we'll, we'll it. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, let's close up with the, the the question that everyone looks forward to. Tell us about you know your human influences, uh, family, your mantra, your core values, your purpose, please. My kids, my children, my three children. Um, and I try not to get choked up when I, I think of them. I mean, I have a almost 21-year-old. Uh, I, I tease him that in two weeks he's going to catch up to his fake ID. Um, <laughs> finally, um, you know, and it's funny because you know he was born uh, August twenty sixth, uh, two, and he was due September fifteenth, two thousand one. Uh, you know, he 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 if he had came on time, he would have been four days after nine eleven. I mean. You know, I can't think of one without thinking about the other and thinking yeah, about, right. you know, all these memories kind of come and he's just, he's doing, he's a fantastic kid. My daughter is off to Ann Arbor, University of Michigan um, in, in two weeks. And then I have a, a junior in, in, in high school and my kids are my crowning achievement. The greatest, the greatest things I've ever uh, been a part of, of, of doing. And I just, I, I hope my dreams for them are that they're, I don't care what they do in life. I just want them to be happy. You know, be happy being a garbage man. Be happy, whatever. I don't care. Just be happy because happiness is so elusive and so hard to find sometimes. Um, family, um, integrity. Integrity is really important. It's what I grew up on as, you know, being in law enforcement, um, doing the right thing at the right time in the right way is is important to me. And I think that's part of uh, integrity is one of the FBI's uh, core values, you know, fidelity, bravery, and integrity. Um, I think it's important to, to do things the right way. So I think family and integrity are my two, my two biggest, I guess, core values, I guess is, is the best way of saying it. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I, I could have called, uh, integrity. You are a good, uh, good company man. And, uh, um, so our listeners are, You've provided them direction, deep insight. Um, there's going to be nothing cooler 
than uh, having a you know counter uh, intelligence person as your security consultants and you promise to come out complete in black with the aviators and everything else for the first <laughs> the first gig but should people in all seriousness Pete, be need to find you uh, is LinkedIn a good place? We will add the links on our uh, on the podcast when we post it. LinkedIn and then my website, PeteLapp2Ps.com. L-A-P-P. PeteLapp.com. I, I, Pete I, I, I bought that with the music and I was out playing and I said, well, let me just, since I own PeteLapp.com anyway, let's use it for the consulting. So there it is. Awesome. Thank you. Well done. Uh, greatly appreciate your time and that uh, six degrees of uh, separation that existed earlier after reading about you in the headline so many years ago is now down to one degree. And I am honored uh, to have you on this. Uh, thank podcast. you, Phil. Thank you very much. Thanks for having Late- me, buddy. Thank you very much as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on this episode of Secure IT as I continue the cybersecurity discussion with customers, vendors, end users and employees, helping us learn from their insights and knowledge and from their experiences. Make sure to follow this podcast for free on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and wherever podcasts are hosted. Do DM me on LinkedIn or Twitter with feedback, questions, comments, and kudos even. Thank you again, and we will see you next month.